Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Well, happy 4th of July as we gather together to worship Jesus Christ. Today's commissioning text is extremely unique in the New Testament because it contains a section that was added later by the church in an effort to finish out the story of how the gospel spread through Jesus' power. What we'll learn today is that the necessary component to spreading the gospel is a faith in Jesus' leadership that has been evidenced in the resurrection. Thanks for joining with us as we seek to show and tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Well, my job on our vacation was uh, driving, and uh, my wife's job was to make sure that our family did not destroy one another as we were driving. And so she had a whole binder planned with activities and bingo and the license plate game. You guys ever play that one? You know the one I'm talking about? Um, Just all kinds of fun things. But as you get two weeks into a vacation, some of those games start to get a little old. And so there towards the end, she came up with, she she reached deep into the binder. And one of the games that she had was uh, a story game. And it went a little something like this. She would start a story and then the kids would jump in and they would have to add a line. And then the next person would add a line. So she said something like, once upon a time, there was a little worm named... Uh, Molly, and I forget the name of it, right? And then, and then Sadie said something like, "And the little worm saw a rainbow." And then Micah said, "And that led to world destruction." <laughs> and so the story kind of came to an end. And we start again. And then invariably, my teenager would have a good time with the story. But you, you know, there's something about that that picture of that story that really it. It, it, uh, it's predicated on a unique wiring of humans. We have a need, we almost have an insatiable desire to, to finish the story, to, to hear the end of the story. How, how, how does that story end? And it's one reason why narratives are so powerful. It's one reason why the gospel stories, all of them are really preliminaries up until the passion of Jesus at the cross because that's how the story ends, except there's... There's even more to be seen with it. You, you guys, you'll recognize this even in a, a, a famous radio commentator, Paul Harvey. Do you remember? He would say, and now you know. How's it go? <laughs> the rest of the story. Because we have this desire to know how the story ends. Well, we're going to be in this, well, we, we are in this series called Show and Tell. And uh, the purpose of the series is that we would be giving our attention to the commissioning texts of Jesus. Jesus has, in every one of the Gospels, and including the book of Acts, a time where he speaks to his disciples to specifically send them, to commission them. And the message of this specificity, it's really the culmination of the entire broad strokes of the Bible. The Bible begins in the very beginning, and you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at God's design for the human creature to be made in his image. And therefore, in his image, we are sent as representatives of God to act on his behalf over all creation. 
to rule and to represent and to live in relationship and to revere the one true living God. And then because of sin, God had to step in once more. And now through the instrument of the family of Abraham, he chooses a people. He, he makes them holy by separating them out of the nations and he blesses them. And we saw that the purpose of blessing is to bless others. And that was the whole story, the purpose of Israel. That which is now seen in the fullness of Jesus Christ that has now been given to you and I as the church. And so now as we're reaching towards the, the, the culmination of the story, we find within the Gospels the last words of Jesus. You know, it's no coincidence that through all of the Gospel narratives, it is in Jesus' final words that we are given the commissions. You heard two weeks ago from Phil one of the most beautiful passages where Jesus says, As the Father has sent me... I am sending you. And there, there's an incarnational component to being God's representative. Uh, Jesus did not come as an angel. How did Jesus come? He, didn't come? he didn't even come as a mighty conquering king. How did he come again? He came the same way you came into this world, as a baby. He incarnated himself. He became like those he was, he was going to reach. And Jesus says, the same way the Father has sent me, I, I am sending you. And, and there is within that an incarnational component. If you are going to reach the world around us, you've got to be invested in the world. Not, don't get me wrong, no, not of the world. You're not defined by the world, but you're invested in the world. Uh, another major component to the passage that you heard from Phil was to be found in relationship. For that is what Jesus had with the Father. He was in relationship with the Father. And so as the Father empowered Jesus, Jesus being fully God, commissioned by God, Jesus says, my words you hear me say are not my own. I only say that which I've received from the Father. In the same way, you and I are sent. Just like the disciples were sent. Just like Jesus was sent. Depending and really relying on God to empower us to do this task. And then you heard last week, Matthew 28, 19 from Paul. Uh, here is probably the most famous of all the commissioning passages. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them and by teaching them. And so we are now given the way you make disciples. You go, you baptize, and you teach. This, this is Jesus' strategy, his design for the church moving forward. Well, today we're going to look in the Gospel of Mark. However going to be a unique a, a unique look because we actually will not have directly from Jesus a commission although we kind of do this is going to be interesting I'll see how well I get through this with not turning it into only a bible study because one of the things that I hope to lead you through is through a little historical piecing together of your bible and hopefully you brought a bible today if you have your bible my my hope is that you're going to see within the end of the gospel of mark uh, something that may have been confusing to you that I have the chance to explain as to why the tone changes and why we find kind of a peculiarity to the ending of Mark. Um, as we are seeking to do this, uh, what, what I'm going to try to do is point out what has happened in our Bibles, and then we're going to look to some, some really key observations uh, that we can understand how we take away from what the angel said to the women at the tomb, and how that relates to how you and I need to be expressing our obedience to God by faith. Do you get, I'll make sure you catch me on that. You and I need to express obedience to God by faith. 
My hope is, is that it's going to be a little challenging this morning. That's my hope. So Matthew chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Uh, we're going to read through the whole chapter, and I'm going to point out a couple of things along the way, and then we'll work for some observations. I'm, not, I'm sorry, Mark. Thank you. Mark chapter 16. I, I misspoke there. Mark chapter 16. <coughs> okay, if you're there, say amen. Okay, sounds like you're there. Here we go. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, at this point in your Bible, I'm hoping that you have kind of a, a bracket or a line or something that says the earliest and best manuscripts do not contain verses 9 through 20. Um, do you, raise your hand if you've got something like that there. So there, there's this interesting little break that we have in our Bible, but then the story continues. So, so we're, we're going to read on verse 9. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, sounds like we already heard this, doesn't it? Sounds like we're re re repeating some of what we've already heard. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Well, we, we already heard that he, he had appeared. Out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. All right. So he, he, here, let me give you a little bit of what, what's happening here. You, you and I have for us in our 
a canonical tradition, the word of God that was given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through prophets and apostles, and then with a great meticulous work recorded and passed down so that the book that you hold in your hands today is as close to the original manuscripts as possibly could be understood. However, however, there are a few places in your Bible where there have been edits. This is one of those places. And there, there's a really unique kind of a, a way in which uh, theologians have, and textual critics have come to understand what's, what's gone on in Mark. Uh, we, we believe that Mark 16, 1 through 8 is original, written by Mark with the help of uh, the Apostle Peter, but then something happened. Uh, do, you, do you ever have to go to school and say your dog ate your homework? That ever happened, ever happened to you? Something happened to the end of the story, and nobody knows what happened. Um, we suspect that, that verse 8 was not where Mark originally intended the story to end. There are some people who think it, it does. So some theologians think he totally meant to do it here, that there is a type of rhetorical reason why he should leave the readers hanging. You, you, guys, you guys know what a cliffhanger is on uh, a TV show, right? What, what's it make you do? Tune in next week, right? Because you want to hear the rest of the story, right? So there are some people who think that, but really the the lexical evidence does not uh, stand up to that. Uh, The way that this ends, it ends on a preposition that's very rare. There are no books that end on a preposition. Um, Even in Mark's own sentence structure, when he writes a sentence, uh, they don't usually end that way. And so there's good reason to think that there was a back page that was missing, or if it was written on a scroll that Fido might have gotten hold of this scroll, or or some people think maybe Mark died, maybe Mark uh, passed away, and he wasn't able to finish the rest of it. But for whatever case, you and I, the church, even at this time, was handed a document that was missing a part. Now, how do you think the church felt about that? Come on, how would you feel about that? Listen to verse 8 one more time. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were what? Come on, ladies. How does that make you feel? These poor ladies, too afraid to say anything. And they, they say nothing? They, they flee in fear? Now, of course, we know... Uh, We know that this is not the end of the story. We know unquestionably there's more to the story. And the second thing that we know is that resoundingly the church knows the rest. Right? Where where are the horns that we can blow, Peggy? Right? The the church knows the rest of the story. And so here's what they did. They, uh, They sought to fill in the gaps for those Christians at this time that they would understand what's going on. And that's what you have in verses 9 through 20. You have the early ancient church recording in summary fashion the ending of the Gospels and the expanse of the Gospel to the Gentiles found in the book of Acts. So if, if you ever wanted the Cliff Notes version of, of the rest of the story, this is really the, the best place that you could turn to the only probably major condition is we will fail to hold the rest of Mark, the longer ending of Mark, with the same textual purity as we do the rest of the Bible. 
We believe that the Bible is inspired by God. We believe that the Bible is authoritative. We believe that the Bible is infallible. It, it, it's incapable of, of falsifying anything. And there's another really important word that we ascribe to here at our church. We believe that it is inerrant, meaning that it does not and cannot contain errors, except only in the originals. And the part that you have at the end of Mark is not original. And so if you were to study this in Greek, and if you were to compare this with the rest of the Gospels, you would find a lot of inconsistencies. In fact, internally, there is a major change in tone, in style, in tempo, in word. Uh, we have words that show up here at the end of the longer ending of Mark that don't show up anywhere else. Um, they, they would be words that the church is more familiar with, but Mark never wrote. Um, you also have inconsistencies with the rest of what Mark has already written. Um, you might recognize, if you're looking with me in verse 14, what does Jesus do when he gets together with the 11? Loving Jesus. What does he do? He says he rebukes them for their, their stubborn lack of faith. And that's actually not a theme that we find drawn out through the rest of Mark. But that's something that we would have understood happening from the early church. They would have understood that. And so... So you have internally a lot of inconsistencies, incongruities. Uh, you have some, some difficult passages here, even as you look to the way in which the early church handled uh, witnessing. You have drinking of poison. There, there's actually no mention of that in the New Testament. Theologians aren't sure where that comes from. The handling of snakes, we think that that is, is a takeoff of something that happened to Paul when, when he was bitten by a, by a snake. And everyone around him thought that he was going to die, but he didn't die. So we think that's where that comes from. Um, speaking in tongues, we see as the way that God had orchestrated so that the Jews would accept the Gentiles, for they received the Spirit the same way the Jews did. And that's evidenced by speaking in tongues. And that shows up here. Driving out demons and healings. We see all that happening in the book of Acts. So you have the resurrection appearances of Jesus. Three of them mentioned Mary Magdalene, the road to Emmaus with the two that's found in the Gospel of Luke, and then to the 11 that are gathered in the upper room, right? We have that mentioned here. And then we have the expression of God's signs that are accompanying the message that also show up here. However, you cannot hold inerrancy to these passages. You cannot. But what you can do is you can read them for what they are. And here's, here's the main point. I've been talking a while up here most... I haven't even started my sermon yet, so we're, we're still on the introduction. Um, the, the main point that I'm wanting you to get from this is that when the church reaches a part of the story that's not finished, what does the church do? Finish the story. Everybody with me on that? The, the church is given this much. They've been told the message of the gospel. They've been commissioned by the angel that's there. Go tell the disciples. That's, that's only half the story. The church finishes the story. Can, can you say that with me? The church finishes the story. Let's say that together. Ready? The church finishes the story. And so that is what I want us to walk through. My, my desire as we look into this text to find some observations is to give you great inspiration so that by faith in trusting the God who can move the stone you will have faith to do the impossible. Now, I'll be honest with me here. It's, it's kind of hard to be a missionary. W wouldn't you agree? Sometimes it's a little hard to share the message of good news 
with folks in this world. Our, by the way, our society, our world doesn't make it any easier. It, hear me now. It is politically incorrect for you to talk about Jesus. That's politically incorrect. So what are you going to do? Talk about, thank you, Jesse. Yeah, I'm going to talk about Jesus is what I'm going to do. But I, what I want you to understand is that there is within our culture today a resistance to that, even in ways that it has become an unwritten rule in our society. And if you're honest with me, you and I, we need the equipping to trust God to be able to speak in those moments where it's not convenient to speak, where you might receive persecution, where you might be afraid. And so that's the message this morning. The message this morning is entitled, Show and Tell Faith. And what I want us to see is the way in which the message of the angel offers faith to these women to do the impossible. Now, as just before we dive in and begin, because I know what you're thinking, haven't we begun already? No, not yet. I want to ask you, where is God asking you to walk by faith? Where is God asking you to trust him and walk by faith? Because here's the problem. If your Christian life is on cruise control, if your Christian life is not being challenged to trust and, and, and walk by faith, hear me, you are not growing. You are not growing as a Christian in faith until that faith is being challenged somewhere. And so my, my expectation is that the spirit within you, because you don't live in heaven yet, folks. This is not heaven. You have a work to do. There's a reason why the church is here. There's a reason why you are here. And so what you need to do is be engaged in this evil world for the glory of God. And my hope is that God is speaking, you, speaking to you to challenge you to do that. Because if you're not being challenged anywhere... If you don't have to trust God anywhere, you are not growing anywhere. Uh, when I was, uh, I think, a freshman, I was, I was a little bit underweight compared to my classmates when I was in school as a freshman, still saying hi in the choir when I was in school. And, uh, but one of the things that I uh, really admired was those seniors who'd be in the weight room. Man, they were just lifting all kinds of weights, right? And those were the guys I wanted to be like. And I can remember getting a, um, a little... Uh, uh, bench press at home that kind of sat out in the garage but I remember being that puny little kid trying to, to bench 100 pounds and I remember it's just impossible it's impossible it's never going to happen but you know what I did? I started with 80 and then I went to 85 and then 90 and do you know what? after a little bit of stretching after a little bit of sweat I was able to do something that I previously thought was impossible. You guys have heard the saying, right? No pain. No gain. You, you, you get where I'm going with this? The, the Lord has to be speaking to you, challenging you to live by faith. He was to these the very first apostles, these very first witnesses, that they were being challenged to spread the message by faith. And so this is where I want to offer the challenge at the beginning of my message to ask you, where is God asking you to trust him? I, I was speaking to a friend yesterday at a 4th of July uh, picnic, just talking about how I had a couple of challenges going on in, in, our, in our, um, our finances and at home. And, and, and she, without skipping a beat, she said, you know what? It's going to be okay. God's got it. And I was like, geez, why, why aren't you the pastor? Like, that's, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Right? I, I need to trust that God's going to take care of things. God is going, 
to meet those impossible tasks. I can't do this. I don't see the way forward. How am I going to move the stone? But you know what? We're going to go anyway, and we're going to trust that God's going to make a way. So this is my challenge to you. And so with that, here's what I like to do. I like to dive in on a few of these passages. If you have sermon notes with you today, I'm going to start right at the very first one with the fill in the blank. The very first one says that faith is greater than fact. Now you might notice something there in the sermon notes. Uh, What is the word fact in between? Air quotes, not air quotes, actual quotes. Yeah, these are air quotes. Faith, uh, Faith is greater than fact. And and the reason fact needs to be in quotes here is because what we've done is we've convinced ourselves of things that are facts that really aren't facts. Um, God is not opposed to fact. We are so easily uh, bewitched and deceived to thinking that something is a fact when it really isn't a fact. So think with me about the, uh, these first, um, witnesses, these women, as they go to the tomb, um, they, they walk in and there they encounter the angel who is depicted here for us by Mark as a young man. And he is sitting there on the right. He says, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. And what, what is the Easter phrase that we repeat all the time? He is, he is risen. How often does that happen? Is that, is that how something happens frequently? Well, what is the fact for dead people? They stay dead. Except faith is greater than that fact. So w- whatever it is in your life that is that obstacle, I think for, the, for, these, uh, for these women, the very first obstacle was the stone, right? Well, that, that's the fact. They're, they're, I can't move that stone. Can you move that stone? Mary, can you? Die? How are we, we going to do this? They, they, don't have a, they don't have an answer for it. And yet they go anyways because they're motivated not by the fact, but they're motivated by what? Come on, church, help me out here. They're motivated by faith, that when they get there, God has already made a way. And then furthermore, you have the fact here that Jesus is risen. I love the angel's response too. Look with me again. He said, he is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? I love how the angel like draws attention to the, look, look. I mean, he's, I'm not lying, he's totally not here. Look, take a look, he's gone. You, you were coming expecting the fact of a dead body. But faith is greater than that. There's a, there's a beautiful passage in Luke chapter 18 as Jesus is talking to the crowd about giving to God as Lord everything. He says, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And the disciples hear this message and they, they come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, this is a really hard message. The idea of giving up your ownership of your life to Jesus is impossible. That's what, that's literally what they say. And Jesus's response in Luke 18 is this. It, it, he says, it's, you know, this is the eye, uh, camel going through the eye, of the eye of the needle. He says, what is impossible for men is possible with God. So uh, my hope is that there's somewhere in your life that God has given you a challenge that you cannot meet. My hope is that you are in a position that God is continuing to grow you, stretch you beyond what you are able to do so that you cannot go through your Christian life on cruise control. But that he is asking you to step out and trust him. And the place where that will begin is by you realizing that your faith in him is greater than fact. Second is this. Faith is fueled 
by forgiveness. This is a really important one. And it's one that if we had the time to really, like, like, like a couple hours to study Mark, this one is awesome. Because if you look back in the passage, you'll remember here in verse 7, we have the commission from the angel. You guys with me? Verse 7. But go tell who? <coughs> I, want, I want to get you guys back on the same page with me, right? Verse 7. But go tell his, his disciples and look at, what, look at what they single out. The angel totally singles out Peter. Go tell his disciples, and you really got to tell Pete, right? Because why? Well, if you remember back to the story, in fact, if you turn back in in your Bible just a couple of pages, in my Bible, it falls uh, in chapter 14, verse 66. I have a title there. It says, Peter disowns Jesus. Now, Mark wasn't one of the first apostles. Peter was. And Mark is recording the gospel with Peter's help. And so Peter, he knows. He knows that there is a special message that he needs from Jesus. Because it wasn't the other disciples who said, Hey, if everyone else denies you, I won't. I love you more than any. Who was it that said that? Who was Mr. Boastful putting his foot in his mouth? It was Peter. And so here the angel says specifically, Go tell his disciples and... Make sure you tell Peter. And here's, here's what this means for us. It means that even here at the first resurrection appearance, you have the expectation of forgiveness. We have for us, I, in, in another gospel, the reinstatement of Peter where Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And Peter, like... Man, you ask me, you know, you know. And it's like, it's like a parent who knows when their kid did something wrong and they're like, just making sure we're reminding you of that. But not in a way that's putting guilt and shame on Peter, but in a way that's saying, I love you so much to forgive you of whatever happened. Hear me again. Faith is fueled by forgiveness. If there is no one who's been forgiven, there's no good news. There's no message of forgiveness. If you don't know that you have been forgiven, what do you have to tell anybody else? There's no message. Only because there is forgiveness is there good news of a message of forgiveness. And so that's that's the second thing that we have to understand. If you and I are going to have faith to step out and do the impossible, you have to know that it's fueled by God's love to forgive you. If you're if you could just turn to your neighbor and say I'm forgiven, that'd be awesome. Can you do that? Turn to your neighbor and say I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I I wanted you I wanted you to say that because I want you to hear those words. I think it's really easy for us as people who live in a performance-based world to really feel a kind of false guilt, a continual guilt. Geez, I ain't good enough. All right, raise your hand if you're not good enough. Everybody raise your hand. Yeah. I'm not, nobody loves me. You sound like Eeyore. Woe is me. Hold on, time out. God loves you. God has restored you because you are forgiven. You're forgiven. Sometimes we need to hear that ourselves to say, I am forgiven. And because you hold to that, you will have the fuel in your tank to go and share the message of forgiveness. Number three, faith is strengthened by following Jesus. So I love what the angel says. Verse seven, go tell his disciples and Peter. 
He is going ahead of you. How awesome is that? Have you ever taken the time to think about that for a moment? Jesus does not send the disciples, hey, go do these things and report back to me how it goes. That's not what he says. Jesus actually goes ahead of them. Um, There is great comfort that is drawn knowing that God has gone ahead of you. I don't know if you're facing anything in your life that's really challenging your faith. My hope is that you are. I want to give you a piece of good news today. Whatever you have in the future that's frightening, whatever you have in the future that for you is impossible, listen to me now, God is already there. Jesus is already ahead of you with strength for you in that moment, whatever that is. What a wonderful message to know that Jesus is going ahead of the disciples. When I was serving in the Caribbean, uh, we would have teams that would come down, and on one of the days that we would take the team on their, on their off day to go swimming at the beach, um, and Emily was there, my wife was there with me, but we weren't even dating, I think, at the time, but we kind of were, were interested. So we were swimming, we were snorkeling together, and, um, and then suddenly this girl, who would become my wife, like pushes me forward and gets behind me and starts because in a snorkel you can't hear what people are saying and she keeps pushing me forward and I'm, I'm like what is it she's like there's a barracuda right there and she's she's hiding behind me pushing me in front of her now it wasn't a barracuda it was this little needlefish that i think she thought it was a barracuda but if you ask her after the service she's convinced it was and to be honest there was a barracuda that was later down the road but here the point being she felt safer where with someone else in front right that we, we were headed back to the shore we were headed back to safety but she could make it if there was somebody protecting her if there was somebody ahead of her jesus is doing the same thing for the disciples Jesus is doing the same thing for you. He does not leave you to yourself. He did not say figure it out on your own. He goes ahead of you. He goes ahead of the disciples. And so faith is strengthened when you follow Jesus. Now, let's be honest for a moment, church. How do you do every day following Jesus? Anyone batting a thousand on this? Good. I didn't see any hands go up. You're in church. That's good. But here's what a Christian does. A Christian, when you fall into sin or when you fall again into those old habits or ruts of rebellion, do you know what a Christian does? A Christian asks God for forgiveness. They repent and they once more follow the shepherd as a sheep follows those who know his voice, right? So your, your faith will be strengthened as you follow Jesus. Number four, faith is motivated by seeing Jesus. This is another one that I think is really important. Look at me again in verse seven. The angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Notice it doesn't say, there you will hear a sermon. It doesn't say, there you will receive your healing. It doesn't say, there you will get power and might and glory. It doesn't say, what does it say? It says, there you will see Jesus. You and I, we live in such a rich world. There is so much that can distract us from the treasure above all treasures. Everything you have bought on this earth is going to break. Everything you love from this earth is going to rust. It can be stolen. 
I think there's a reason why so many Christians are so passionate towards the end of their life, right? If, I mean, it, how many churches are filled with really, really young people? Not, not too many. It tends to be older folks that say, you know what, I've, I've seen the world and I've discovered that it doesn't satisfy. But do you know who does satisfy? Jesus satisfies. There's a beautiful passage in Psalm 73, um, verse 25. Psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I, can I say that again? Can you, can you listen to the words of that psalm? Whom have I in heaven besides you or but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. The greatest treasure that there is on this earth is knowing Jesus. Jesus says that that is eternal life. That that relationship that you have with Jesus is the thing that will never spoil or fade or be stolen or rust. And so the disciples here, uh, the, the women at the tomb, that which they're to tell the disciples, that which they're to tell Peter, is that he's going ahead of you, and there in Galilee, you will see Jesus. What if I told you that if you if you head up to Channing, there you'll see Jesus? Who would go? Oh, come on now. Yo, no, listen, raise your hands. You're going to see Jesus in Channing, if, if that was true. I'm totally going to Channing right now if I'm going to see Jesus. This is, this is one point where I feel like many of us need to just check our hearts on the things that we love. Don't, don't let it wait to get to your last moments of your life. Don't, let, don't, don't wait until you've tried everything and found that nothing satisfies to really go after the water through which you will never thirst again, which is Jesus, the bread of life. And so the disciples here, they're being given a message that if you go to Galilee, there you're going to see him. Faith is motivated by seeing Jesus. Number five, faith is rooted in believing Jesus's words. This is one that I really like, another really important one. Uh, again, Mark chapter 16, verse seven, but go his, tell his disciples in Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. And then I love this, just as he told you. Do you think that was the tone? What, what was the tone the angel? You, you know, he totally told you guys this. You didn't believe it. There, there's a place where we can find this. If you turn back with me to Mark chapter 14, so just... Flip, flip the page back. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 27. Jesus says, you'll all fall away, he told them, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. Watch this though. Verse 28. But after I have risen, well, hold on, what, what do dead people do? Do dead people rise? What's the fact? Dead people stay dead. So I think at this point, they stop listening. I think right here, but after I've risen... That's where they checked out. But look at what Jesus says next. I will go ahead of you to Galilee. He totally told them. The, the angel knew it. Right? If you go back to verse 7 of chapter 16, he says he's going to go ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Listen to me for a moment. You live in a world that does not listen to God's word. They reject God's word. Do you know the very first words out of the serpent's mouth in Genesis chapter 3? You know, the fall of Adam and Eve when the serpent comes to attack the woman. Do you know the very first words out of the serpent's mouth? Did, four words, did God really say? What is the devil trying to do? Get the woman to doubt God's 
word. I want you to know that faith needs to be rooted in believing God's words. You heard one of these last week from Paul Jacobs. Matthew, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. First of all, at the beginning, he says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus was lying? Or do you believe all authority in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus? I believe it. And if, if that's true, then God can do whatever's impossible because all authority has been given to Jesus. And then he says at the very end of chapter 20, and surely I am with you even to the end of the age. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is with you? even to the end of the age? This is my point. Your faith needs to be rooted in a trust and in a confidence of believing what God has said. All right, give me an amen on that if, you, if you're with me. All right. Number six. Faith is often found in unlikely characters. Um, if this was fiction... If the story of Jesus was being made up, you would have never, in this culture and in this time, entrusted the resurrection message to women. I'm sorry, women, but that's just the fact. If you were a woman living in this day and age, your testimony held no bearing, no water in a court of law. That, that is the way in which women were treated. And yet God, knowing the value of both men and women, both equally created in the image of God, God entrusts the message of the resurrection to the most unlikely of characters. Where, where are the men, by the way? All the dudes have gone back to fishing. Like, they've all left their dead master. They believe he's dead, and they're done. But the women, they're the ones who go to the tomb, enacting a kind of faith to trust even the stone will be rolled away, and Jesus entrusts for them the message. And here's my point. Faith is most often seen... And those that you might not think would have faith. In fact, Jesus tells a story to the crowds about how the faith that you and I need to act is emulated. Do you know what Jesus does? He asks these little children to come to him. Now the disciples were shooing him away. Get these kids out of here. Don't you know we're busy? Get them out of here now. Jesus says, in the King James, suffer not the little children to come on to me. That's how the King James Jesus talked. But basically he says, let the kids come. Let the kids come. And then he takes a little child and he turns to the crowd and he says, unless you become like one of these, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. What was it that Jesus was expecting his followers to emulate like the child? Faith. Faith like a child. Did you know that on our trip out west, not one time did my daughter ask, are we there yet? Not one. I'm totally lying. That's a total lie. <laughs> She asked that over and over and over. But not one time did she doubt that we were going to get there. Right? Children have this beautiful ability given by God's grace to live with faith. They, they just do it. They trust by automatic. They trust. It's only as we get older and start to get worried and start to have to pay bills and start to get sick that we are the ones who think that we can't trust God. Because remember this, faith is sometimes seen in the most unlikely of characters. All right, number seven, faith is evidenced by action. I want to pay attention to the verbs back in Mark 16, verse seven. What are the two verbs that are given here by the angel? Verse seven, but go, and the second verb, tell. There you go. If you forget everything this morning, remember those two words. As you're driving home or you're going to lunch, as your day is getting on, um, just remember that the message from church this morning was go 
and tell. And that the Bible gives us the ability to have the faith to do that because you have to remember, faith is evidenced by action. Uh, th- by the way, this is a whole sermon in and of itself. I just give you the two-second version of it. James chapter 2, we have these words that <clears throat> in the same way faith by itself is dead if it is not accompanied by action. And so we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that's ever alone. If you have saving faith, it will be evidenced by how you live. And it is for these women as well, because you know the rest of the story, even though verse 8 tells us that they're scared and they go out trembling. Did the disciples hear? Don't let me lose you. Did the, not trick question. Did the disciples hear the message of the resurrection? Yeah. Did they hear it from the women? Yeah, they totally did. And it's because the church here finished the rest of the story. So faith is, a com- is evidenced by action. Lastly, number eight, faith is the response to fear. And this is how we know there's more to the story. The women in verse eight, were they afraid? Yes or no? Yes, they were afraid. But what did they have that conquered their fear? They had faith. How do you know that? Because the church finished the rest of the story. So here's what I want to leave for you today. As you go into a new week, as you go into a new month, as here we are again in a country that is continually living and legislating apart from the will of God, you are going to be sent out into this world. And so two ways that I want to challenge you. Number one is this. This is under application now of the sermon notes. Go, even when it seems impossible. Whatever it is that God is putting in front of you, my, my encouragement from you from the word of God today is go, even if it seems impossible for you to do. Here's why. Number one, Jesus commanded his disciples to go. The, the imperatival force of making disciples is found in the participle to go. And here again, the angel is telling the, 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 the women to go tell the disciples. So number one, Jesus commanded it. And number two, and I like this one even better, is that Jesus has promised to lead you. I can't give you any better news than that. Christian, listen to me. God has got you here for a purpose. He's asking you to do something more than you are able to do. But he has promised to be with you as you go. So, number one, go, even if it seems impossible. Number two, tell the message of forgiveness tell the message of forgiveness. Now, next week we're going to start into a a major noun that we're really going to sink our teeth into to define this this concept of of showing and telling. It's the word witness. What does it mean to be a witness? Well, I want you to know that what what does a witness do when they're called to a stand, right? Think court of law. Raise your right hand, please. Do you so I swear to tell all the truth, none but the truth, so have you got. Right? You, you know that moment, right? And, and what do they say? I do, right? And then what does a witness do? Sit there? That's right. Thank you, Don. They, they tell. That's what a witness does. So what is it that you should tell? Well, I, I would submit to you from today that you need to tell the message of forgiveness. That's what you need to tell. And do you know where that begins? Say, it begins with me. Come on, say, it begins with me. It begins with me. If God has forgiven you, you have a story to tell. And this is how I want to end my uh, message today. In the same way that Emily, she 
she had a game for the kids to play where she would start the story. And if you even look with me, flip the page here in Acts chapter 16, go to verse 15 because this is the words that the church recorded. Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. There's the commission that the church understood. The story is started, but then the story is finished by the church. Now imagine that you, that you were written into the story. That, it, that if, we, if, we, if we could flip to chapter 17, right? If we could flip and mark chapter 17, it said, and then two millennia passed, and the message of the resurrection, it was given to, I'm going to pick on Phil and Peggy again, just because you're easy to pick on. The message of reconciliation, the message of the resurrection was given to Phil. And then the story ended. What would it say after that? I, th- this is my challenge to you. The rest of the story, it's up to you. You've been told the message. You, you have been woven into the story, but how does it end? In your life is going to be different than mine. Each of us have a unique contribution to give to this. You are part of the story. And as Paul Harvey would say, now you know, right? The rest of it, I want you to know that the rest of it, it's up to you. Let's pray.